Well, welcome to Life Church. Good to see you all here. It's my privilege today to introduce to you our guest speaker. I first was introduced to Bo when a few years ago, uh, more than one pastor in this area told me that you've got to go and visit this church down in Manchester. Amazing things are happening. So two times over the past couple of years, we've gone down and visited. And the first thing we noticed was how full this place was and just this huge growing church. And you know, as a pastor, I'm trying to figure it out. You know, you're kind of analyzing, okay, what is it? You know, you're trying to figure out what's the, what's the secret sauce. Um, going through the worship, it was, everything was great. Um, and I'm trying to do my best here to not be insulting, but Bo preached. I'm like, oh, that, you know, that was good. That was, that was good, but that can't be the secret sauce. And then I read his book, uh, The Pray for One. I'm like, oh, okay, this is it. It's the people. It's the people who are just reaching out, and that really is it. And I know, I know that's not an insult to him because I know every pastor, that's what you want. You want to be known for a great group of people. That's what the proof of a great pastor is, and that's this, they're living it. They're living this pray for one, and I really see that here at Life Church. We're really getting it, pray for one, just, just recognizing there's people that God's putting in our path. This is our mission, and we're going to do it, right? Awesome. With that, Bo, come on up. We'd Thank you so much. We're studying your book in our life groups and enjoying your videos, and it's just great to have you here live today. Thank you. The truth is that that really did offend me. Um, I'm very insecure, and uh, yeah, my feelings are hurt. It's true, though. It, it is so true. The uh, the real beauty of the church is the people. It's, uh, it's not the programs. It's not the staff. It's uh, not the ministries. It's not the building. It's, it's you and me. And uh, it's so cool that what God did is he, he says, hey, guys, I, I want you. I want you. Isn't that neat? I love that. Right? I want you. I, I want you to know today that, that none of you are an accident. Right? I don't care what anybody's ever told you. You're not an accident. You're an on purpose created by a God who knows you and loves you. He, he adores you. He's madly, passionately head over heels in love with you, and he wants you. And what's really cool about that is, is he wants you to be with him forever in his eternal home. And he's got a place that he's getting all ready and all set up, and, you know, he's going to come back, and we're going to get to be with him forever. And that's fantastic. But I think what's even better than that is he doesn't just want us to be recipients of his love. Right, where he pours his love and grace and mercy and forgiveness and life into us. But he wants us to be participants in sharing his love. And I think that's kind of the true beauty of the church is God says, hey, you're my family. You're my sons and daughters, right? And um, you're going to be in the family business. And the family business is to seek and save the lost. The family business is to reach the world for Christ. The family business is to, to reach as many people in the shortest amount of time we can. And time does matter. I hope you know that time matters. Clock is ticking. It matters. And so when it comes to reaching the world for Christ, I mean, our mission is, is to go and storm the gates of hell and to set the captives free and, and, and to knock those gates down and, and invite people into an eternal relationship with their heavenly father. And, and we bring heaven to earth because we're the church. And that's a big deal, right? That's, a, that's why this is important. That's why it's so cool to, to gather together like this. I mean, I don't even know where I am right now, honestly. I mean, this is, I live in New Hampshire now, uh, the Granite State. I'm from Texas, moved to New Hampshire uh, five and a half years ago, um, and, and, you know, moved up to New England, knew nothing about New England, New England culture, anything like that, you know, being from the South. And this week, we were down in uh, Savannah, Georgia, up until late Friday night, uh, sharing Pray for One at a church of like eight or 9,000 uh, down there. 
and it was really cool and, you know, amazing time to be in the South again, you know, with people uh, who were friendly and nice, and it was like, I don't know, I don't know what this, it kind of freaked me out, honestly, and I felt very uncomfortable, and I was like, I got to go home, right? People were being way too nice. And so we get back to New Hampshire, and I had like eight hours in New Hampshire of, you know, just, uh, you know, it's the granite state. You know, I always thought, you know, it was the granite state because all the granite in the ground, that's not it. It, They're hard-hearted, right? (laughs) right? Their faces are like stone. Nobody smiles in New Hampshire. And if they ever do, it's an accident. You can hear the crust just falling off. Um, so that's why I'm a little freaked out right now. My, uh, my wheels are shot off a little bit because you people smile here. And I thought Maine was in New England, and so I'm just confused. <laughs> but I want you to know, um, boy, you, you are onto something here. Oh, my goodness. Life Church, you, you are into something right now, man. The, the Lord is doing something, and it is very, very special. Now, I, I bet a lot of you are taking it for granted. You, you, don't, you don't see it. Look, I'm coming in. I'm going to leave in a little bit. But I want you to know what I've already seen. Boy, the Lord is doing something very special. And he's been doing it for a while. But you need to get ready. You need to get ready. Um, because if you pray for one and you say, God, give me one person to share your love with, guess what God's going to do? He's going to give you one. That's like a teenager asking his mom if he can clean his room instead of going out with his friends. <laughs> what? I mean, God loves this. God loves it when, when we start praying his expressed will into our lives. I mean, just think about that for a moment, right? Think about the way we pray, right? Most, most of our, our prayers are, are all about, you know, hey, God, protect me. Oh, God, provide for me. Uh, oh, God, take care of this for me. It's almost like we're going to God and we've, okay, God, I got a list of things. I'm going to need for you to take care of. Which in that kind of conversational environment, it would have to make you wonder who's in charge of that relationship. Right? Who's Lord in that relationship? Right? Who's the servant? Who's the master? Right? But we know that, that he must become greater and we must become less. And so how does that happen? Well, it happens as, as we seek him. And yeah, we have things on our heart. And so, oh God, this. And oh God, that. And oh Lord, I'm scared about this. And I don't know what to do about that. But you know what, God? I want what you want. Lord, send me somebody today to share your love with. God, give me one. And God's going, yeah, yeah, let's, let's do that, right? And, and he's going to, to do that and provide that. So if you're praying for one, you better get ready for one. You better get ready for one because God's going to answer that prayer and he's going he's to give you one. And, and as a church, you better get ready to double, but you need to know it's going to cost. There is, there is a cost involved. Things are going to change, right? In a cool church right now. I mean, I mean, wow, that, the band, I don't know what just happened. I felt like I should have brought a lighter. And, uh, and it, was, it was awesome, man. It, it was so much fun. And, and I think church should be fun, and, and it should be exciting, because God is fun, and God is exciting. And I know there are people out there, they, they want to rip on that, you know, the religious types. But, you know, that's a, man, that's like a... That's like a badge of honor right there when the religious types start ripping on you. You know, at Manchester Christian Church, man, we got all kinds of people who are, you know, they'll blog about us and, you know, make comments and, you know, talk bad around town. You know, that's the feel-good church. I don't want to be the feel-bad church. (laughs) Who wants to be a part of that, right? Oh, you go to the feel-bad church. Yes, we're miserable. Just the way God intended. (laughs) 
That's awful. I mean, God's grace makes me feel good. A relationship with Jesus makes me feel good. Uh, being together in the church and worshiping him and encountering his presence and exalting him and lifting him high, oh, they make me feel good. Right? And I, I hope we leave feeling better than we did when we came in, uplifted and encouraged and inspired and challenged and wrestling with things and engaged in the kingdom work of Jesus. Ready to, to go and, you know, storm the gates of hell. Let's go get them. And you got, that, you got that going on here. I mean, it's pretty cool, which is shocking because when I walked in and saw pews, I did not expect this. <laughs> I've, not, <laughs> I've not sat in a pew in a long, long time. Um, and, uh, you know, usually that's an indicator of, you know, a dead church, pews. Uh, <laughs> you come in, because I've seen it before. The thing, about, the thing about pews is is people kind of identify with their pews. I always thought that was a weird name, right, for a bench, a pew. Why do you call it a pew? It's because they stink. <laughs> and I was like, why, why do they stink so bad? Well, it's, it's because with pews, I think people are territorial, right? Like, like you, got, you got your pew, right? Somebody, you come into church and somebody's sitting in your pew, you don't know what to do. You just go stand on the end of the aisle. <laughs> Man, that's, that's great. Hey, um, you're in my pew. <laughs> Because you've marked that territory, right? Your scent is on it, pew. It, it's not good. And then the, the other thing, too, is you settle in there, you know, when you got a pew. You know, I did it. I sat down, and I started marking out my perimeter. Right? I set my bulletin on one side so nobody could sit there. I got a water bottle on the other. I, need, I had the perimeter, you know, my, my safety. And we, we do that because we're tempted. We're just tempted to settle, Right? We're tempted to settle, but I want you to know something. Christ followers are not settlers. We are conquerors. In fact, in Romans, it tells us we are more than conquerors. Right? We're not settling. We're taking ground. We're not setting up shop and claiming uh, little pieces of territory for us. Uh, we are moving. Right? So if you want to pray for one and you want to be a part of what the church is really all about, you better get ready to move and to go, and to, to sacrifice, and to give, and, and, and really to have the time of your life, right? Because it's going to be that scary fun, right? It's going to be a blast. In Matthew chapter 22, verse 37, Jesus replied when he was asked, what is the greatest commandment? He said this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And he said, this is the first and greatest commandment. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. Jesus says, hey guys, um, I've come to simplify what is super complex. And it was complex, right? Religion is complex. And the Jewish people had a religion, right? God creates this people for himself where he's going to reveal himself uh, through them and through their worship of him. He uh, gives them 10 commandments, right? You remember those 10, right? That sounds pretty simple and easy, 10 commandments. We can handle that. Well, they really couldn't handle it very well because it's confusing. 10 commandments, right? Well, it's only 10, but it's still confusing. Like, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy? I mean, what does that mean? Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Oh, I know what that means. Do you? Do you know what that means? Well, it means it's a day of rest. Well, what day? Well, on Sunday, really? Because it was Saturday for the Jewish people. Right? So, okay, now, well, what day is it? Does it matter what day it is? Is that important? And what does it mean? You can't work on the Sabbath. What does that look like? Well, I don't know. It depends on what work is, right? Right? For, for me, like, uh, I hate to garden, you know, be on the garden and work in the yard. That's work. That yard work. 
So if you ask me, I'm like, no, I can't do that on the Sabbath. I mean, I'm out. <laughs> and somebody else is like, but that's how I relax. You're a freak, okay? <laughs> you need to get a life. Watch TV, okay? <laughs> it's weird. So what is, what is work, and how are you going to figure that out? So you had to have these uh, religious experts, right, religious experts, experts in the law. They were lawyers, interpreters of God's law and how to apply that in a changing culture and a changing dynamic, and the world was changing. I mean, don't forget that. The world was changing back then just like it changes today. And uh, like the Jewish people, when Jesus came, uh, they were living under Roman occupation. They didn't have their own land. They didn't have their own, their own kingdom. And they were anticipating and expecting a Messiah, as the Old Testament prophesied, that would come and deliver them and give them a kingdom, which is who Jesus is and what he came to do. But it blew their minds and how he came to do it. And some, some couldn't uh, g- grab a hold of that. And so you had these Pharisees, and, and Jesus talked to them and talked about them. And, and he says, what you've done, it's so complex and it's so hard. He says, I'm going to simplify this. Remember, he says, take my, my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What he's talking about there is, is he's saying... Um, I'm going to break this down for you and make it simple. Right? Here's what it is. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. And then he says this in Matthew 28, verse 19. He says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And he says, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. He says, you're, you're my church, so here's what you do. Here's the functional mission and purpose of the church, to fulfill the mission of Christ. And Christ came to save the world, right? For God so loved the what? The world. That he sent his son Jesus, not to condemn the world, but to save the world. And so the church is now the body of Christ entrusted with his mission to go and not only love God and have his love poured into us, but to become conduits of his love moving through us to the world around us so others can connect to God. And as they connect to God, his love pours into them, flows out of them, and connects to others around them, okay? And this spreads again. And then those people connect to the love of God. God's love comes into them and goes out of them and connects to the world around them. The church is here to reach the world for Christ. You are here to reach your world for Christ. Now think about your world. What is your world? Well, your family. That's going to be your world, right? Your work is probably your world. Your, your neighborhood is your world. Your town is your world. Your school is your world. Your friends is your world. How is God's love moving through you to those people? Because that's the beauty of this relationship with God. It's like he, he takes us from religion to relationship, from complexity to simple. Right, from a, uh, you might look at it this way, from a well to a fountain. Right, think about a well. Yeah, with a well, you've got to take a bucket out. And maybe, I mean, we're in Maine. Maybe some of you don't have running water in your house. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> but <laughs> somebody is like, oh, that's me. <laughs> that, I, man, that's terrible. You've got you to go to the well. You've got to go. You gotta go find the well. You know, you gotta get a bucket. You gotta get it down in there. You gotta draw water out of the well. Then you gotta carry the well back and use up the water. And then when it's all gone, you gotta, you gotta go back. That's religion. Right? That's why people say, you know, when you're religious, you, you have to go. Right? You go to church, you don't, you're not being the church. 
Right? You, you got to go and get it and use it up and then go get some more. And Jesus, when he talked to that Samaritan woman at the well in John chapter 4, he looked at her and said, hey, I'm going to give you living water. Right? It's like he, he was talking about indoor plumbing there. Mind-blowing stuff. Like it, You're going to be connected to it. You don't, you're not going to have to come and work and earn and use up and come again. He says, I'll be connected to you. It's like he says uh, that he is the vine and we are the branches. If we remain in him, he will remain in us and we will bear much fruit. What does that fruit look like? What does it look like? Well, the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5 is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Word. It's good stuff. We all want that, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Most people leave out self-control. <laughs> I rush through it. I, I don't like patience. Uh-huh. <laughs> but the thing about that is that is the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruits of the Spirit. It's the fruit of the Spirit. It's not a, a, a list where you get to pick off the ones that you want to see developed in your life. When you're connected to the vine, you're connected to Jesus, and you're in him and he is in you, you will bear much fruit. Fruit. All of it. Not just pieces of it. All of it. And the end result of that fruit will be in the multiplication of God's family, more people in the kingdom of heaven. Right? That's why. That's why it matters. Right? What does it matter if this fruit is present? Because then you become experts in sharing God's love. Not experts in the law, not experts in religion. Experts in sharing God's love, God's love moving through you. And it multiplies. It multiplies. This is what praying for one does. Praying for one unleashes exponential growth by releasing the church to invest God's love. When we pray for one, then this, there's this exponential growth, right? Exponential. It's multiplying. And I want you to know this. God multiplies, the enemy divides. God multiplies, the enemy divides. And so God's plan is to multiply his love through you. It unleashes exponential growth. So uh, one becomes two. Two becomes four. Four becomes eight. Eight becomes 16. 16, 32. 32, 64. 64, 128. 128, 256. 256, 512. 512, 1024. I'm a math whiz. (laughs) Not really. I worked hard on memorizing that. Were you impressed? That's the secret sauce. (laughs) Math. But you're, you're unleashed to invest God's love. And that's what we are. We are called to be investors. Investors invest God's love consumers just suck God's love and produce waste. Investors invest God's love and produce growth. Consumers suck God's love and produce waste. Right? So you want to be an investor or a sucker? <laughs> you want to invest. In uh, Matthew 25, uh, Jesus uh, tells this parable. And he's referring, obviously, as, you, as we read it together, he's referring to himself and his church. Verse 14, it says, again, it'll be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one, he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who'd received the five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work, and he gained five more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more, but the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. 
And after a long time, the master of those servants returned to settle accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold, so you have gained five more. And his master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. The man with two bags came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags. See, I've gained two more. And his master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. And then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man harvesting where you've not sown and gathering where you've not scattered seed. So I was afraid and I went out and hid your gold in the ground. Here, see what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the banker. So when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. And so here you have three servants, right? Uh, One entrusted with five, one entrusted with two, and one entrusted with one. But remember, they were entrusted. They they were entrusted with uh, the business. The master's going to go away. They're his servants. He says, I'm entrusting you with my business. Now, what are you going to do with it? All right, so he's gone for a long time, and when he comes back, uh, the one who had the five, he was excited. Master, you're back. Yes. You gave me five. Here's ten. And the master says, well done, good and faithful servant. Share in your master's happiness. Well, he already has. Right? He's done, he's done a good job. He's, he's already sharing in his master's happiness. The same with the guy who had two. Right, the master comes back. Oh, you gave me two. Here's two more. Now well, there's four. Well done, good and faithful servant. Come and share in your master's happiness. But the one who had been entrusted with one, right, he was afraid. So he just went off and dug a hole in the ground, buried it, waited for the master to come back. Right? So he, he didn't work. That's what you need to understand. He didn't, he didn't go to work. He wasn't about the master's business. Right? So he wasn't really a servant. Right? That's why the master says, you wicked and lazy servant. Now, I do want to point out that when the master comes back, he take, goes up, digs up the, the, the one bag of gold, takes it to him and says, here's what you entrusted to me. I kept it safe and secure and, and everything's fine. It's all here. You can count it. I didn't, I didn't steal it. I didn't squander it. Um, I didn't uh, uh, spend it. I didn't give it away. I just buried it in the ground. Now, this is what a lot of people who say they're following Christ are doing. They're taking the love of God that's been entrusted to them and they're burying it in the ground in hopes of preserving it. So that when Jesus comes back, when we say, okay, here it is, unblemished, untainted, mint condition. Please understand this. You are not supposed to die with a mint condition faith. You know what I mean? Mint condition in the original packaging, never been used. Right? We, our, our goal is to stumble into heaven, tattered, beaten, worn, torn up, dirty, right? With a whole bunch more coming with us. You wicked and, and lazy servant, you didn't invest. You should have at least put it on deposit with the bankers so there could be some interest. I don't know what the, the first bank of Jerusalem was giving out in interest rates in those days, but it probably wasn't a lot. You could have at least done that. So what are we doing? And, and we think about this, right? If we're not sharing God's love, if we're, if we're not open to praying for one and saying, God, let your love move through me. God, you've entrusted me with this mission. Give me somebody and then another and another and another. We want to be a part of this exponential move of God. Why not? Why not, double? Because this is rare, what you've got going on here. 
it's, a, it's beautiful and it's rare and we, we want to make it a norm. Right? And you're, you're a big part of this. So why not double? What's the deal? I think there's a number of reasons. The, the most obvious one that comes to my mind is fear. That's the first one the wicked and lazy servant identified. He said, I was afraid. And fear is, is a big one for us. Maybe you've heard this acronym before, false evidence appearing real. You ever heard that before? Fear is just false evidence appearing real. I've preached that before, but after I was done, I went, I don't buy that. Because sometimes fear is very real. Sometimes you ought to be afraid. Be very afraid. Right? There's reason to be afraid, right? Like Franklin Delano Roosevelt, FDR, he had this quote, the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. The only thing we have to have fear is fear itself. Boy, that's inspiring. And boy, that rallied the American people. The only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Yeah, that and the Great Depression, World War II, the atomic bomb. There were some very real factors going on that produced a lot of fear. So you can't just ignore the practical reality around you and the fears that are there. But we do need to engage with Jesus and understand what he's called us to. I mean, 365 times in the Bible, it says, do not fear, fear not, do not be afraid. He's constantly reminding us. And then in Philippians chapter four, verse six, it says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So when fear pops up, don't just deny it and say, Oh, I shouldn't be afraid. Go, what is that? Why am I afraid? Then engage in your relationship with God and go before him and pray and say, God, I am afraid. This is what is going on. What is happening inside of me? Present your request to God and the peace of God will flood in and drive the fear out. And it's mind blowing. You can't explain it surpasses all understanding. And he will replace that fear with a greater compulsion to invest. But you have to pay attention to this. Uh, for instance, um, I became aware of an unknown fear I had just this week. Um, I was in a hotel room, and uh, I went to take a shower. And I was uh, taking a shower, and I put the shampoo in my hand. And I went to start shampooing my hair, and I closed my eyes super tight, and I'm shampooing really fast, and something fell on the shower floor. And it startled me because I didn't know what it was. Now, I assumed it was the shampoo bottle, but I couldn't be for sure because my eyes were closed tight. And I was afraid to look. And I thought, why am I so afraid right now? And so I prayed, God, show me why I'm afraid. And I had this instant image of being a little boy in the bathtub with my mom pouring out the Johnson & Johnson's No More Tears. That was a bunch of bull, by the way. <laughs> It was one time it got in my eyes when I was a kid, and there were tears. And so mom, whenever she went to wash my hair because she didn't want to hurt me, she told me to close my eyes, close them tight, and she washed my hair. So I've always closed my eyes tight when I've washed my hair. Now, the other part of that is I wash it really, really fast, right? And I was like, what is that all about? What am I afraid of? And I remembered God gave me an image of when I was in college. I shared a house with five other guys and there was no lock on the bathroom door. And they loved to play practical jokes on each other while we were in the shower. And my eyes were closed tight so I couldn't see them coming. <laughs> right? I'm 42 years old. I have never enjoyed a shower. 
right? People talk about this. They're like, oh, I took a 30-minute shower. It was so relaxing. I'm like, How? what? How? I'm miserable. <laughs> like post-traumatic stress, you know, I'm like, freaking out. <laughs> My life's about to change. We're going to run out of hot water every day. Because I can keep my eyes open while I shampoo my hair. I'm like, hey, whoa, nothing's getting in there. This is okay. But there's fear, and, and sometimes it, it grabs a hold of us. And, and so was, what do we fear? Well, I think when it comes to sharing God's love, we fear change, right? I mean, as a church, you, you know, it, it's kind of scary. What's going to happen? How are we going to change? Will we all know each other? You know, how will the relationship dynamics change? How, how will uh, our services change? But change will be the norm. It has to be. Should be, it, you know, if you're going to reach more people, you ought to expect it to change. Uh, there's the fear of sacrifice. What's it going to cost? Because it does cost. And, and I think the beautiful thing is we get to sacrifice. We get to be a part of it. We get to feel it. Sacrifice is giving until it hurts. And, and you're invited to sacrifice and, and be a part of this. Um, there's the loss of control that we fear. Right, that, okay, wait a minute, I, maybe... You know, I'm, I'm not running the show. Maybe this is, out. and by the way, I think, I think the church ought to be out of control. But it always drove me nuts when we were in the church. You know, you had kids who would be out of control in church, you know, running around. No running in church. I'm like, let them run. Hey, go for it, you know. Well, they might spill something. Yeah, yeah, we'll get new carpet. Right. Well, let, you know, get, get a little more out of control. There's too much control sometimes. Where, again, we need to release people. And that loss of control can be very, very scary. Uh, another thing is uh, false expectations. That's a reason why uh, we might not double and we might just kind of uh, turn off the flow of God's love, right? Because uh, I think it's, it's pouring in and, and there's a fountain and it's coming in, but sometimes we turn it off, we shut it off. And uh, false expectations uh, do that. It's kind of this uh, me-centered uh, philosophy that you know, says this is all about me as opposed to being jesus Centered in, do we expect to double? Do we expect the church to grow? If we believe into a, a lie that says, oh, you know, that, that doesn't really happen anymore. Of course it happens. It's happening all over the world. I mean, Christianity is on the move. I mean, it, it is expanding and growing at a faster rate than ever before. It, it is, why can't it happen here? It should. So let's expect it. Let's anticipate this. In John 16, 33, uh, Jesus said, I've told you these things uh, so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, he says, I have overcome the world. Right? And so he, he lets us know right up front. He goes, hey, I want you to know what to expect. Right? In this world, you're going to have trouble. Right? So a lot of people think, oh, I'm going to come to Christ and all my problems will go away. Because right, we kind of preach that type of message, not on purpose, right? We say, come to Jesus, it's going to be awesome, he'll change your life, he'll, uh, you'll have eternal life, and you're going to be connected to him, you're going to know why you're here, and you're going to have purpose and meaning, and, and, and we share all that, and everybody's like, okay, that sounds really good, and then they come to know Christ, and they're like, okay, I'm ready for all my problems to go away. I'm ready for candy canes and sunshines and lollipops and rainbows and unicorns. But that's not church. Church is messy. Church is dirty. Church is... It's hard. In fact, Jesus says, in this world, you will have problems. And in fact, I would say it would only make sense if you're going to follow Jesus that you might expect the problems to be on the up. We should expect more problems. Jesus said, hey, you want to be my disciples? Great. I want you to be my disciples too. This is really perfect. I want you to come follow me, but here's what you're going to have to do. You're going to have to lay down your life, take up your cross, and then let's go. Why in the world would Jesus say, take up your cross if he never expected you to use it? Come follow me. 
But if you want to follow me, you got to come with a cross. If you're going to follow Jesus, then we ought to expect the same results. I mean, there is this constant dying to self, dying to self, putting away those, those expectations that we have before. And when you pray for one, it's hard. It's inconvenient, right? And what I mean by praying for one is uh, there, are, there are kind of two things that happen here. God, send me someone to share your love with. God, give me someone to share your love with, all right? And sometimes God lays a name on your heart. Like right now, I have four people I pray for by name every single day. God, give me an opportunity to share your love with these people. And, uh, and some, you know, some days there's, there's traction there, you know, and I feel like, you know, God's doing something. But then there's also just this kind of general prayer. God, give me anyone. Right? And what's beautiful about that is, is then that gets you ready to say, okay, wait a minute, right? You ever heard of these things called divine appointments? You ever had one of those where at the end of the day, it was like God sent somebody at just the right time in just the right place, and you're like, man, that was a divine appointment that changed my life, or, or that's going to have uh, eternal consequences, or that really saved the day? It was a divine appointment. When you pray for one, what you start to realize is every appointment is a divine appointment. Because you know what? Every one is a one. Everyone's a one. Your spouse is a one. Your kids are a one. Your friends are ones. Your neighbors are ones. Your coworkers are ones. Your boss is a one. Everyone is a one. Strangers are ones. And when they enter into your world, right, you evaluate them differently. I mean, because the, the way that the expectations we have in this world is we evaluate people and we assign value to them, right? Evaluate, assign value. How do we assign value to people? Oh, you can be in my world because you have value to me, uh, meaning that you do something for me. You fill a void. You make me feel good. Uh, you meet my expectations. Now, when somebody no longer meets your expectations, okay, move it along, sister. You're out of here because you, you don't have value to me anymore. Right? You don't want to invest anymore in that relationship. But when another person's value is that uh, they are an object of God's love moving through you, well, now the investment is very different. I want to invest. Right? And I will tell you, it's going to be inconvenient. It all, it's just so inconvenient. Right? God, give me one person to share your love with. And then you put somebody in your path and you're like, now? Are you kidding me? When, uh, when we lived in Texas, um, I had my daughter, oldest daughter, was four years old at the time. We just had our son, Ace. And we had come home from the hospital. And uh, we were exhausted. Um, my daughter uh, needed a nap, um, but that was going to take some doing to get her laid down. Uh, Ace, the new baby, had just fallen asleep. Uh, my wife needed her prescription from the drugstore. She said, would you go get it and take that girl with you? I was like, all right, I'm exhausted. I wanted a nap. So I said, come on, let's go. Let's go. We went out in our driveway, and we're in a rush. I just want to go get it, come back home. And I'm standing in my driveway and had this neighbor across the street. Her name was Vera, and her husband, his name was Bo, which is weird because he was from China. Uh, so you couldn't have had two any more different Bows, all right, living across the street from each other. And Vera, uh, I think she was watching at her window. And when we walked out, she came uh, running across the street. Oh, Bo. I said, oh, hi, Vera. And she said, did your wife have the baby? And I said, yes. She said, it was a boy. And I said, Yes. And she said, congratulations. I said, thank you, Vera. And I'm like, get out of my way, Vera. <laughs> and I'm opening the door to my truck, you know, trying to give her the cue that I'm getting in and leaving, and I will run you over. <laughs> and I open the door, and uh, she looks inside my truck, and she goes, is that a Bible? I had a Bible sitting in my truck. And I said, yes. <laughs> she said, I've never seen a Bible before. 
I'm like, whatever. It's weird. She says, I would love to read the Bible someday. I'm like, are you now? <laughs> now, this doesn't, this is not working for me right now. You, you stop and you go, okay, wait a minute, this is more important. This is more, and it, and it is, it, your, your expectations have to change. Um, in that same house, it was a neighborhood association and there were strict rules about landscaping and everything else. And uh, again, I told you I don't like yard work. And the thing is, I don't like to get my hands dirty. Oh, I know that's weird. And, you know, you guys are like, who's this guy? You know, I'm the guy that didn't like to get his hands dirty. It just kind of freaks me out. And, uh, you know, working in the dirt. Nah, nah, nah. And so you, we had just a little bit of uh, landscaping in front of the house. And if you had weeds in there, you know, they'd send you a notice. And if it, you didn't take care of it, you'd get fined. So we got a notice. And my wife's like, we got a notice. I'm like, I, I just want to do it. I want to do it. You know what? Just don't give me anything for Christmas or my birthday or Valentine's. Just let's just hire somebody to come pull our weeds. <laughs> right? It was worth it to me. So, you know, we did. And then one day I'm, I'm walking, I walk outside to get the mail. And Vera is standing there at, at her mailbox in tears. And I said, I was going to watch TV. <laughs> Vera, what's, what's wrong? And she goes, I got this notice. And I said, she goes, what does it mean? And I looked at it and I go, your flower beds have weeds in them. <laughs> and she goes, oh, I don't know what to do. My husband's out of town for six weeks. Can you help me? Sure. I go inside and I start changing my clothes. My wife goes, What are you doing? I'm like, Going over to Vera's to pull weeds. (laughs) Okay. It it just changes you. you, And it's going to cost you, but you have the expectation that says, Okay, it's going to be like that. Then there's this uh, obstacle of fake maturity. A fake maturity is an obstacle, right? Where, where you get your, uh, this version of goody tissues, uh, holier than thou, right? You know, all that stuff. Um, and uh, you have the issue of fake maturity where people, you really start to judge other people and expecting people to, uh, to be in a place where they're not, right? And what you need to understand is praying for one is messy. Okay, it's messy, right? For instance, uh, we have police officers on our three sites in Manchester, right? So we have to have police officers there um, because it's messy, Right? And there's trouble and there's issues and it's a deterrent. And one time the police officer comes over to me and he says, hey, I need to ask you a question. I said, what's up? And, he goes, and it was his first time there. He goes, is it okay for people to drink in your auditorium? <laughs> I was like, well, I mean, we have a coffee shop and, you know, yeah, people take in stuff all the time. It's you know, p- kind of part of our culture. He goes, no, 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 come here. And we walk in there and he goes, look. And on the third row, there's a guy drinking a Heineken. <laughs> like nine in the morning, right? Green bottle. You get it. Like, and I went, huh. I mean, we don't really have a policy on this. Uh, a little weird. You might want to keep an eye on him. And, uh, you know, so you're like, all right, that's going down right now. And other people are around it and seeing it. And that's kind of messy, but, you know, we can laugh about that and probably should. That's humorous. I but what's real is when uh, last Sunday at one of our campuses, um, a lady OD'd on heroin in the bathroom. And when I say she, you know, in, you know, you know the heroin, 
problem. You're probably, it's all over the news. Um, I just heard last night that it's the second leading cause of death in New Hampshire right now, heroin overdose. And uh, this lady, when I say she OD'd on heroin in our bathroom, um, when the paramedics pulled her out through the lobby, she had the needle still hanging out of her arm. Messy. Because there's families and kids and parents and people coming to church there. That's who we are. This is the world we live in, right? And that's the beauty of the church, right? And my church, and that's, I, I love the diversity I see here. It's pretty cool. But that's, that's a sign of health because in my church, it's the only place that I know of in, in, in our country where I can look out and I see a heroin addict sitting next to an anesthesiologist. It happens all the time, and it's perfectly normal, right? You know, a banker sitting next to somebody who is, is thoroughly broken homeless. I don't know of anywhere else where where God just says, you're my people. But it's messy. And and so you can't have this kind of fake notion of maturity. And and fake maturity, sometimes people say, well, it just takes time. I mean, it takes time. And and maturity can open over time, but I want you to know the biblical norm was rapid growth. That was the biblical norm, rapid growth. I think it ought to be the norm today, right? We baptized at Manchester Christian Church over 2,000 people in the last five years. And I've had people go, well, what are you going to do with all those baby Christians? I'm like, what in the, <laughs> baby Christians, what are you talking about? Right, what are you, what are you going to do? We're sending them out. <laughs> Teaching them to pray for one. We want to baptize 4,000 people in the next five years. We want to double again and double again and double again. You don't do that by holding them back going, all right now, little one. <laughs> go get them. And so guard your heart against that. Jesus told us that we need to be like little children. The last one uh, that I just want to share with you, there will be faith-testing obstacles, right? Um, If you keep praying for one and you want to double and you want to have room for one and space for one, um, I mean, it's going to be costly. You're going to have to pay for one, right? It's a a great slogan. Pray for one, pay for one. Hopefully you'll have a capital campaign sometime. (laughs) And you'll get to give more than you ever imagined you could ever possibly give. And God's going to provide. He's going to do it through you. And you're going to invest. There's going to be barriers, right? Remember, we have an enemy, a very real enemy. He's real. And, and what happens, though, is when it gets hard, a lot of times people, because they have a false notion of who Jesus is and what he's doing, it gets hard and they say, okay, God must have closed the door. God closed the door. And sometimes when people say God closed the door, then, then they say, oh, if God closes the door, he's going to open a window. I don't, I don't really know what that means. That's weird. <laughs> going to open a window. <laughs> open a window. We need a door. All right? We're not looking for ventilation. <laughs> we need a door. Right? And so when the door gets closed, and it will, remember, you have an enemy who's coming against If God's in it, you better be aware that the enemy's going to close a door. So when he closes the door, the first thing I would encourage you to do is go up and try the handle. Because okay? we just, all the doors closed, oh no, it's over. No, it's not. Go try the handle. If that didn't work, look around. Anybody got a key? If nobody's key got a key, then go find a battering ram and break the door down. Right? Get everybody you can, grab a hold of it, and slam through that door. Because there is way too much at stake. Now, from what I've seen in the short period of time I've been here, you are the church. 
and you're going to be blowing through some doors. Go get them. Go get them and do it together. Do it together and watch what God will do. Exponential growth, 160, 30 times what was sown. Boom. And you'll reach your world for Christ. Can I pray for you? And as we pray together, would you pray with me? Could we pray right now um, a prayer for one? Would you pray, God, send me one? You want to do that? Let's do that together out loud. God, send me one. Father, um, I do pray and just thank you for Life Church and the work that you're doing here. And Lord, I do pray that you give each of us one person to share your love with. And that, God, you would reach our world for Christ, that you would do that through us. And we ask for that boldly in the name of Jesus. Amen.